Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler, The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. junkies! I hope this episode finds you well. I hope that you are staying smart, staying science, and for the love of science, staying informed. Hey, Americans! The first of the COVID vaccines are making their rounds, and it looks like it's possible that maybe there's a chance that we might all have access to the vaccine in May. So if you've stayed safe and locked down and masked and hand washy and distance and all that jazz, don't let your guard drop now. We're almost there. And if you haven't been safe and locked down and masked and hand washy and distance and all that jazz, now is a good time to start. Wouldn't it suck to get the COVID right here at the end and have to go be on a ventilator and crap? So don't do that. Let's just uh, obey the protocols until we get the vaccine. Things start to get a little bit back to normal. Uh, we might be in the home stretch for the lion's share of this business. Also, goddamn lions sharing COVID. Am I right? What's that all about? Get your info from people that know stuff, not from your uncle on Facebook who is reposting Russian disinformation and propaganda. Back to the world of Siglerism. There are only 68 copies of the champion hardcover left in existence. Once they are gone, they are gone. Snag them at scottsigler.com slash the champion, one word. We suspect that once the gangster is out, which it will be probably in Q2 or Q3 of 2021, those remaining copies of the champion will go poof and sell out immediately as people stock up on the limited edition hardcovers. So snag them now if you want to get one before they are gone. Are you watching our weekly Sigler in Place live stream? Every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, A Real Girl and I do a one-hour live stream to put a smile on your face, and we also ram some positivity right up your heart. That is where we ram it. Join us and your fellow junkie pals at facebook.com slash scottsigler twitch.tv slash godsigler and facebook.com slash godsigler and or we're in all those places. We also have a live stream at those same locations every other Saturday for Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture on March 20th in honor of St. Patty's Day. Our movie is the bizarro The Boondock Saints with Willem Dafoe and Norman Reedus. Yes, before Daryl was shooting zombies, Daryl was shooting gangsters. So join us for that on March 20th at 2 p.m. Pacific time 5 p.m. Eastern as a real girl, empty set movie maven Rob Otto and myself go into the absolutely crazy backstory behind this indie movie, Shoot 'em Up. Now, let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then we're all going to go plant some corn. Previously on The Gangster, Greedock the Splithead sent his former police detective operative, Wakan Reed, to investigate Jonathan Sandoval's bombing of the touchback, an attack that caused the deaths of Fong Gaokao, Bobby Brobst, Kobor the Climber, and head coach Hokor the Hookchest. And Greedock's constant manipulation and intimidation of his players is about to cost him more than he bargained for. Find out what happens next on The Gangster, episode number 15.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Machinizations. I've made headway, Wakan Reed said. Before the touchback bombing, Jonathan Sandoval may have had contact with a leaky connected to the guild. And by guild, I mean Vermada. I can't find the leaky's name, only the handle it goes by. The Emissary. Virak stood at the base of Greedock's pillar. A shock prod hanging from his hip, a powerful semi-automatic pistol and a holster strapped across his chest. Greedock hadn't asked Virak to take up that kind of defensive posture, but he hadn't told the warrior not to do it either. Reed didn't seem bothered by Virak's presence, although the human's eyes did glance at the pistol from time to time. Reed had shown up at the Kraken's building without warning, without scheduling an appointment, which had flustered Massal. The worker liked things to be organized and regimented, especially when he was as tired as he was now. In addition to his normal duties, Massal was putting in extra hours studying up on potential Kraken's prospects. Greedock employed several talent scouts, but with Hokor gone, Massal's opinion on all things gridiron mattered more than ever. Work on the Krakens was important. Finding out who had attacked the Krakens, even more so. This emissary, Greedock said. This is the one who hired Sandoval to attack my property? Reed took off his hat, turned it in his hands. I don't think the emissary is a decision maker, he said. More like a messenger with some small level of authority. I've heard whispers of another Vermada player, a sentient known as... The broker. Some think this broker either calls the shots or at least relays the orders of the sentient who does, but I don't know for sure. I do not pay you so that I can hear you tell me you do not know for sure. I pay you to get me hard facts. The leader noticed a slight increase in the human's body temperature. Reed did not like being told what to do, at least not so directly. This is dangerous work, the human said. The sentients in the Vermada are psychopaths. I'm at risk as it is. I won't rush this. Sometimes a leader needed to push. Sometimes a leader needed to threaten. And sometimes a leader needed to be patient. 
Reed smiled his big-toothed smile. I have some other possible information for my UBI contacts, he said. But again, I don't know for sure. Would you like to hear it, or would you prefer to wait until I have hard facts? Flippancy. How unfortunate. Perhaps after this was over, Greedock would reevaluate his investment in Reed. Go on, the leader said. I have a partial trace on the payments to the hospital hitters. Gemstones? No, Shamakath, Reed said. An electronic transfer. The money was routed through a Purist Nation bank. No surprise there. The nation was known for its lax banking regulations. Anything to bring money into that cash-strap system. The nation. Stedmar Osborne's territory. Greedock had assumed that Osborne couldn't be behind the assassination attempt, but was that naive? Very interesting, Greedock said. But from where did the payment originate? The nation? The Concordia? The Union? I don't know the original source. I can follow up on that, but it will take time away from my work on Sandoval. If you want me to trace the finances sent from a nation bank, I have to go there, get physical access to their primitive computer networks. Are you making progress on Sandoval's interest in the regulator? I am, Reed said. I've learned he had an informant on that ship. I'm trying to identify that informant and make contact. If I can, I might be able to get the regulator's historical flight records. Do you want me to focus on that or go to the purest nation? I can be at Buddha City Station in a few days. Sandoval had wanted to know when the regulator was within shuttle range of the touchback. What did that have to do with the Church of Quentin Barnes, the schism meeting, and Sandoval's motives? Greedock had a feeling that information would prove the most important of all. For now, focus on the regulator connection, Greedock said. Have you made contact with Gonzaga? Reed nodded. Yes, as you requested. Give him your financial leads. He is a former nationalite. He will know the train better than you. Greedock heard voices filtering in from beyond his chamber doors. Loud voices, coming closer. Sounds like there's something new on your agenda, Reed said. I'd rather not be here if that happens. If you need anything else, call me. Without asking permission, the human donned his hat and left the chamber. Massal the efficient entered, his neat blue jacket trimmed in thin gold braid. A curl of that braid on his shoulder looked slightly off-center, a rare mistake in his appearance. Your Magnificence, there is a problem, the worker said. You have more unexpected visitors. Traces of green and crimson on Massal's cornea betrayed his embarrassment and confusion. Within those swirling shades, though, were barely visible, unmoving fibers of yellow a clear sign of physical exhaustion. I cannot read your mind, Missal. Tell me who is here. Carol Tweedy, the mother of John and Jew Tweedy, who are with her. Also with them are George Starcher, Tara the Freak, Cliff Frost, Milford, Denver, Kiloyod, Budo Shrek, and Cormorant Bumberpuff. Breedock leaned forward. His interest peaked. He could hear the Tweedy brothers' loud voices as they argued about what sounded like a heated debate over mismatched socks. Miss Saul, explain to me why you saw fit to let this mob walk right up to the door of my chamber. The worker shivered. I told them they needed to make an appointment. Mumo picked me up and set me aside. Your guards then tried to stop them, but were afraid to use force against your property. 
I told the Tweeties and the others that you were terribly busy and couldn't see them. At that point, Carol Tweedy mentioned a possible labor strike effective immediately if she and the others were not allowed an audience. A labor strike? A threat from employees that they would not work? The bane of any proper leader. Such attitudes could not be allowed. But what was the tiny human woman's connection to the players? If they wanted more money, they should have said as much to their agents. Agents, not players, talked to Greedock about compensation. Bring them in, Greedock said. Massal hustled out of the chamber. Virak, your thoughts? The warrior remained in front of the pillar. I imagine this involves Barnes, Shamakath. Of course. Barnes had developed a relationship with the Tweedy brothers as well as their mother. Shamakath, there are ten players coming into your chamber. I suggest you bring in more guards. To bring more guards into the chamber was to admit that Greedock feared his own players. That would result in losing face. The two recent attacks had already done significant damage to Greedock's reputation. Perhaps that was the reason the players felt bold enough to come here and demand an audience. You will manage on your own. You are their teammate, and I am their owner. I suspect this will not be a violent encounter. The leader settled back into his cushy throne. Whatever this was, it was already interesting. He liked interesting. Carol Tweedy and Janine Carbonaro had been secreted away from Inath by Gonzaga for the wedding of Barnes and Montaigne. A clever move by Gonzaga, claiming to come to Inath just to speak to Greedock, while at the same time quietly taking those women, and several other players, off the planet. Greedock might have stopped them from going, might have let them go. He wasn't certain. It no longer mattered, as the wedding guests had since returned. Massal entered the chamber, followed by the massive players and the diminutive human woman. Her eyes were scrunched so tight, Greedock wasn't sure if she could see at all. Her shoulders were up near her ears, perhaps due to some kind of skeletal deterioration condition. She wore a Kraken's jacket, black with orange leather sleeves. Carol Tweedy, Greedock said, I gather that you are the organizer of this ill-advised attempt to influence me? Call me Ma. Everyone does. Greedock would call her what he wanted to call her. In this chamber, he commanded. All others obeyed. Tell me why you have come to see me. It's about the Randall Hospital attack on Quentin. Someone tried to kill him. Ah, now Greedock understood. This half-sized human thought Greedock had ordered the assassination attempt. I had nothing to do with it, he said. Nor did anyone in my organization. Do you think I would be so short-sighted as to target my championship-winning quarterback? Can the shifty talk? The woman pointed a gnarled finger at him. You think I was born last night? I know what you are. I know what you do. Don't try and play innocent with me. Things shifted from interesting to absolutely fascinating. You would be wise to mitigate your anger in my presence, Greedock said. I know you have emotional ties to Barnes. You are understandably upset that someone would try to harm him, so I will forgive your attitude this time. This one time. As I said, I had nothing to do with that attack. 
My underlings will find out who is behind it. When they do, I will eliminate those who would try to harm that which belongs to me. Yada, 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 and jibber-jab hullabaloo, Carol Tweedy said. Next time I have balloons to blow up, I'll ask for your hot air. But for now, let's keep this simple. You're going to leave Quentin alone. Him and anyone associated with him. You got that? Greedock stared down at her. How an organism so small could have given birth to Jew and John Tweedy, Greedock didn't know. Speaking of Jew, perhaps the man could be culled away from this herd. Jew... Your participation in this visit is ill-advised, Greedock said. Your contract negotiation is pending. Jew shrugged. This ain't about that. If you want to talk contract, talk to my agent. This is about that, Greedock said. Now that we are in negotiations, everything is related to your contract. A player's off-field behavior is a significant factor. Jew stuck his finger up his nose, wiggled. Whatever he came out with, he wiped it on his pants. I'm guessing a lot of owners will overlook my off-field behavior, he said. I hope you ignore it, because I like being a kraken. But if you can't, so it goes. No, Jew could not be culled from the herd. He had power. If Greedock didn't sign him to a massive contract, another owner would. That gave Jew leverage. Greedock instead focused on the woman. He had spent his entire life learning how to read the emotions of every intelligent species he encountered. Quith warriors and workers could hide nothing from him. Humans were a little harder to read, a little more guarded, but to Greedock, most of them were an open book. This Carol Tweedy's voice sounded calm. Inside, though, she bubbled with anger. Anger led to poor choices, such as the one she'd made by coming here. Greedock had killed sentience. For less. You burst into my office uninvited, Greedock said. You have accused me of trying to hurt my own property. You will... Carol Tweedy stomped her foot against the floor, a sound that echoed like a gunshot in the round room. Quentin Barnes is not property, she said. Yours or anyone else's. Not only had the woman insulted him, she had interrupted him. He had tried to show her leniency, and this was the thanks he received? Time to illustrate to her who she was truly dealing with. You listen to me, Ma Tweedy, Greedock said. You clearly do not understand who you are talking to. Allow me to educate you on— Shush it! She'd interrupted him again, with a voice far too loud to have been produced by such a small body. Greedock stared at her. He didn't know what to say. The woman turned to John. Jonathan, I'm getting a kink in my neck. Could you help your dear old mother up so Greedock and I can talk face to face? Sure thing, Ma. John's big hands wrapped around his mother's waist. He started to lift her up. Virak drew his stun stick. George Starcher and Cliff Frost stepped between Virak and the Tweedies. Kilo Yoet flanked Starcher. Milford and Denver flanked Frost. Cormorant Bumberpuffs, boneless limbs, brought him under Frost's massive legs. The X-Walker stood in front of Virak. Virak, my beloved teammate, Bumberpuff said. Please, do not try to use that weapon on anyone, or I will be forced to take it from you. The warrior reached for his holstered pistol. 
No, Greedock said. Even if Virak only meant to use the gun to threaten, Greedock could not risk injury to the Krakens. They were too valuable. The leader thought of calling for his guards, but if he did, word might get out that he couldn't even control his own players. He'd appear weaker than ever. Anna Volani might try to take his territory. Worse, Gloria Ogawa would laugh at him. John, Carol Tweedy said, put me up there with Greedock. John lifted his mother, tossed her up lightly as he shifted her weight to his upturned hands. Greedock, stunned to silence, watched the woman step onto the small space atop the pillar. She stood directly in front of his throne. He started to reach for the custom-made entropic pistol hidden in the left side of his throne, then thought the better of it. He would look foolish drawing a weapon on a tiny, unarmed human. Let me tell you something, mister, she said. Quentin Barnes isn't property. He is a sentient being. He is a good man. He is my son. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Greedock could barely process what was happening. His pedestal. His throne. No one had ever come up here before. You will get down, he said. Right now. You really do not understand who I am and what I am capable of— Shush it! the woman said, interrupting him a third time. I'm sure threats and violence work in your criminal world. We're law-abiding citizens, and we don't shake like a leaf every time you speak. Maybe you ordered the attack on Quentin, maybe you didn't. But if anything happens to him, if any of your thugs rough him up, or worse— she pointed down to the gathered Krakens. Then this bunch won't play for you ever again. Quentin gets hurt. There goes the core of your team. The leader glanced at his players. Defensive captain John Tweedy. His brother Jew, the league's best running back. Starting tight end George Starcher. Star receivers Milford, Denver, Tara the Freak. Offensive tackle Kilo Yoet and center Budoschweck, all-pro cornerback Bumberpuff, up-and-coming defensive end Cliff Frost. Greedock gave in to his anger, let black curls sweep across his cornea. These players needed to know their Shamakath's rage. It was not too late for them to make a smart decision. All of you, he said, you would give up your season, maybe your career, and by crossing me possibly your lives— For Quentin Barnes? John Tweedy nodded. We would. We love you, greedy old buddy, old pal. Don't get us wrong. We believe in you and appreciate what you do for the organization. But we have to protect our quarterback. Greedock read John's body language, his expression. The human meant what he said. So did the others. Quentin ain't part of your criminal things, John said. Neither are we. Let all of us do what we do. Play football. Keep the crime side crime and the grid side iron scrolled across his head. This wasn't an uprising by the entire team, but this group, along with Barnes, Montaigne, and Shoto, had been the driving force behind back-to-back Galaxy Bowl titles. Without these players, there was no chance at a third straight crown. Without them, the Krakens might not make the playoffs at all, might even be looking at a losing season. Or, possibly, Ionath might lose enough games to fall out of Tier 1. 
from first to worst. Such potential humiliation. And it's not just Quentin, Carol Tweedy said. Anything happens to me or any of the Krakens who are standing up to protect one of their own and they all sit. Just leave your players be. Let the boys play football. Denver hopped in place. Boys and girls and girls and girls and girls. And girls, Carol Tweedy said, nodding. You're the boss, Greedock. Everyone here understands that. But your players face enough danger on the field. They shouldn't have to worry about their safety off it, especially from their team owner. Did this human actually believe what she was saying? She lived in a fantasy world. For now, however, Carol Tweedy had the power to make her fantasy a reality. Greedock had been outplayed before he even knew the game had begun. He could have some of the players killed as an example. Budoshwek was old, but only had a season or two left. But if the others kept their promise and didn't play, Greedock could not take that chance. Later, much later, this human female would die screaming. But for now, he had to play along. Greedock willed away the threads of black. He calmed himself, stared straight at her. I have heard what you came to say, Ma Tweedy. Know that Quentin Barnes has nothing to fear from me. You have my word. Your word? I suspect your word don't amount to much. Maybe that's why Quentin has friends willing to go so far for him, because he keeps his word. She looked down to the players. Jonathan, catch your mother! The tiny human stepped off the pedestal. John Tweedy's oversized hands caught her gently, lowered her to the ground. Carol Tweedy looked up at Greedock. Thank you for taking this meeting, she said. Next time, I'll bring cookies. She walked out the chamber doors, the traitorous Krakens at her heels. The woman had strength, significant strength, and courage born from absolute conviction. She would have made a good leader. But, like every leader or sentient that had challenged Greedock over the decades, he would deal with her. Her and Barnes, both. How frustrating. Even if Barnes could no longer play, Greedock's long-anticipated retribution would have to wait. He couldn't do anything that might make the players turn against him. No threats, no violence, no nothing. Eventually, though, something would change. When it did, he'd make Barnes and his adopted mother pay for their insolence. The only variable was time. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ziegler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon. Empty. 
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.